All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something, to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help. With funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey, look, Will Lucas here, Black Tech Green Money. This conversation that you're about to hear is from Afrotech 2019, held in Oakland, California. It's with the incredible Delane Parnell, who's the CEO of Play Versus, a competitive gaming company, otherwise known as an esports company. Delaney's on the main stage at Afrotech, the world's largest black tech conference, talking with Morgan Devon, CEO of Blavity. Honestly, for me, this is the talk that I remember most from that year's conference. There have been a lot of memorable experiences at Afrotechs of yore, but this one in particular features a few gems dropped, a few bars laid down perfectly. And if you listen, a few nuggets of wisdom which would help you find your own ways to success in tech. It's the holiday season, so I'm throwing it back. Let me be honest, because I want to hang out with my family too, but I didn't want to leave you without a dope beat to step two, so I'm bringing some heat today. So I hope you listen to this conversation diligently and with the idea that you're going to come away better than you were going in. So let's listen in. Please give it up for the session all about play to win the business of esports with Delane Parnell from the 313 and Morgan DeBond from the 314. What's up, Afrotech? Hey, what up, folks? Did anybody's arms start hurting while they were watching that? Okay. All right, Delane, how are you? I'm good, I'm great. You recovered from that party. It's a beautiful last night. room right here. It is a beautiful room. So first, let's just talk about um, what is esports. You know, I think a lot of people have maybe heard the phrase esports, but we might not know what it is. So why don't you yeah. tell people what it means? So how many people here, by show of hands, uh, have ever heard of esports before? All right, cool. So uh, for most of you, you have 
a good understanding of exactly what it means. For those who don't, uh, esports is really a term used to describe competitive video gaming. So playing video games uh, in the same format and structure as sports. Mm -hmm. And so there's an entire industry built around it. Um, professional leagues that look like the NBA, the NFL, lots of the team owners in those professional leagues uh, are the same owners who own franchises in the NFL, NBA. Um, and yeah, and like we're, we're working on the amateur side of that. Right, so when you say amateur side, what does that mean? 99.9% of, .9 of gamers, right? So uh, of the thousand pro players, there's 2.4 billion uh, amateur players who, who enjoy playing video games, and we're building software that enables competition for them. So you recently closed your Series C. Let's yeah. give a big shout out to that. Not many of us have made it to Series C yet. I do not envy that level of pressure. <laughs> no, um, so you've raised a little under um, 95 million. No, 96 million. 96. I was there. I was <laughs> Don't forget a million now. Hey, man. 96 million in under 13 eight, months. 13 months. The company is 18 months old. 21. Tell me about that experience. Tell me about how you got started and what your journey has been to get to where you are today. Yeah, so, yeah, so I started the company last January, uh, really around the, the, the mission of building out the infrastructure around amateur esports. So what that means is if you're going to play esports and you're not going to be a professional, um, you're going to play online. And so who's going to own the, the generational product where all of that competition happens? And so we went out to, to build that company. The, the way that we approached it, um, is really unique, uh, mostly because we have to, to even have a company, we have to work with game publishers who own their IP. So in many ways, it's the same challenge that groups like Spotify or Netflix have, where they have to go work with third parties who spend billions of dollars developing IP, and you have to acquire the, the rights to be able to like commercialize that. And so we, we, to, to be able to accomplish that, we decided to take a really unique approach into how we enter the market. And, um, and end up basically uh, owning and operating high school esports. So we went to this group called the NFHS, who governs all high schools in the country, essentially the same as the NCAA in the same office for the past 100 years. And we, we received a partnership with them to own and operate esports at 20,000 high schools across the country. So having that distribution allowed us to go out. Thank you. Yeah, uh, so having that distribution allowed us to go out, acquire the rights from publishers, build a team that built, you know, product, um, and then essentially started to, you know, raise money on the back of that idea. And so, you know, last uh, May, we raised our Series A, uh, $15.5 million, which uh, was just a few months after launching, and then a few months later, raised our Series B, $30.5 million, and then uh, a couple months ago, we closed our Series C, uh, $50 million. What is all this money for? What do you, how are you going to deploy this capital? What is the return on investment? I mean, it's a multi-billion dollar industry, so we know that you need a lot of money to go after it. So what are you going to do? Sure, yeah. So look, the, the opportunity in front of us, uh, at least you know, based on you know, our assumption and all of the research that we've done, is that we're building a 100 million plus user subscription business, right? So we're building uh, the biggest company in gaming, biggest company, certainly the most impactful, most valuable company in esports. Uh, and we need people, right, to get there. And people in LA specifically are really expensive. And so, as you, you know all too well. And so, uh, so, yeah, so look, we're using that money to build more product, to invest in our community. It's a new category. Um, so there's certainly going to be some bumpy, bumpy roads within the, within the sort of, you know, bubble that's being created. Um, and we want to 
be around. And so um, we, we haven't spent most of that money, but, um, but we're certainly looking forward to continuing to invest in our people. And we're, we're launching some new stuff next year. So today we're in high school and a third of the country has adopted eSports, right? Video games as a sanctioned sport in high school, which is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, next year we're going to be taking Can you just it. explain that? Because I'm not sure that everybody yeah. fully gets it. What does it mean to be a sanctioned sport in yeah. high school? You've got people with like varsity eSports, right? Yeah, no, it's pretty wild. So when you, if you go to high school and you play a sport, um, you can win a state championship for it. The fact that you can win that state championship means that the sport has been sanctioned. Um, uh, you know, we partner with this group in all of these states for them to adopt video games as a sanctioned sport. I mean, kids who go to certain schools, like in California, for example, they can play a game like League of Legends or you know, maybe in the future NBA 2K for a state championship as the kids in basketball or football or soccer today does. Uh, they can earn a varsity letter. They can be eligible for the you know, state hall of fame and the state record books. They can receive you know, millions of dollars in scholarship because you know, hundreds of colleges offer tens of millions of dollars in scholarships. And so you know, we've created uh, an entire environment for kids who care about video games and want to be recognized for their talents there to be able to go out and take their career to the next level. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Don't be shy, Afrotech. Don't be shy. This is a lot of work. Yeah. You know a spot, but not just a spot, the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots, being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. How do we level the playing field for all entrepreneurs? 55% of white businesses survive the startup phase, while only 4% of black businesses do the same. So I want every black entrepreneur to know about the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative. The 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative is an award-winning program created by Shopify and Operation Hope. They're on a mission to start, grow, and scale 1 million black businesses by 2030, driving wealth creation for the black community. Out of 6 million employer-owned businesses in the U.S., only 2.3% have black ownership. This program gives black entrepreneurs tools and resources to level the playing field, from free business coaching to tailored training and extended free Shopify trial. Shopify's made a 10-year, multi-million dollar commitment to the program, and it's working. The initiative already started, supported, and engaged with over 334,000 black businesses, helping them operate businesses that sell anything from skateboards to coffee beans to apparel. Business owners love this program. Simone Harvin, founder of SC Creative Group, says, The 1 million black businesses experience for me was unlike any other program I've been a part of, primarily because it was for us and it was by us. Here at Drink Champs, we are always interacting with our listeners, many being black entrepreneurs. Shopify is one of those platforms that empowers and emboldens entrepreneurship. So chart your own path for business success with the 1 Million Black Businesses Initiative and Shopify. Bring your business to Shopify with an exclusive offer at shopify.com slash B-E-N, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash B-E-N. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. 
That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of Black and Brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Wallbrook, we hear inspiring rags-to-riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So let's bring it back. Let's bring it back to Detroit. So you're from Detroit. Um, you're a serial entrepreneur. Yeah. We got Detroit in the building. Just in the front. <laughs> okay. Um, so you, you're a serial entrepreneur. Um, you've been hustling almost all your life. Yeah. What made you decide to take it to the next level and go after the Silicon Valley money? Yeah, no, look, I mean, well, there's no, what's the alternative, right, is the real question. So, um, you know, I grew up, born and raised in Detroit, um, Jeffrey's Projects, spent the sort of second half of my life uh, as a teenager on the west side of Detroit, raised by a single mother, um, myself and my older brother. And my mom, she did some stuff that was pretty impactful, like early on into my career, looking back, especially now, you know, she got us summer jobs. Um, I worked at this cell phone store and my brother ended up working at this meatpacking place called Meat Town, and now he works as a chef. Um, and obviously I work in business. And so um, this guy at this cell phone store named Sam, he took me under his wing, allowed me the opportunity to be, basically be able to learn and experiment as I went. And um, yeah, eventually I ended up owning some cell phone stores in high school, started a car rental, um, ended up working in venture capital, worked at a startup that How raised a bunch of money. How old were you? Uh, when I was working in, in venture, I was like 20, 21. Right, early. Yeah, no, so it was super early. There was like no, that's when, you know, it's interesting. People, people would tell me like, hey, you need an MBA. Uh, and I was like, man, you know, maybe for you, you know, like, uh, <laughs> I was like, what's an MBA? Like I dropped out of school. I went to school for a semester. I was like, man, nobody getting money here. I was like, I got to get out of here. Uh, no, for real. <laughs> so, yeah, so. Uh, so yeah, so I left school and I was like, I'm gonna I'm figure it out. You know, like for me to, to go, my mom has like all of these old videos of me. When I was a kid, people would be like, you know, what do you wanna, what do you wanna be? What do you wanna do? And I, I would always respond like, I'm, I wanna be a billionaire, like, or I'm gonna be a billionaire. And I never, I never really knew exactly how I'd get there. I always had the conviction that I would. And, and luckily, you know, I was able to find a, an avenue through gaming, which is something I care a lot about, you know, uh, tech, which is something I care a lot about. And, you know, for me, like, I want to be the, the first African-American to sell a tech company for a billion dollars. And I think we're well on our way. So, you know, I'm happy about that. So a lot of times, I mean, I want to talk about this. I feel like we've talked about this before. A lot of times, I think in the black tech space, because there's so few of us who raise venture funding, we celebrate the raise. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it can be kind of a false sense of success because that's fake, you know, that's just numbers on a piece of paper, right? right? It's not liquid. So what is your point of view on kind of the state of black startups, black tech? Do you think that we've um, made progress? Do you think that we're approaching it the right way? Just what are your general thoughts about where we are today? Yeah, well, first off, I think, you know, uh, you know, lots of companies are investing into, you know, fixing whatever set pipeline issue that they have. And I think while I don't think that there's a pipeline issue just from having exposure to being in those rooms, it's really, it's really for them an awareness issue and an exposure issue. You know, I went down to Atlanta with a, a really well-known angel investor who's invested in, into companies that have sold for tens of billions of dollars. And he'd never been to Atlanta. 
You know, he had no ever intentions of ever going to Atlanta. And, and the one time I asked him, you know, he was so curious, he decided to like get on a plane and come down. Um, and, and I'd imagine that that's the case for lots of, like lots of investors, you know, who invest tons of capital into uh, companies. It's mostly like into people who look like them because that's like the, the, that's the exposure that they have, right? Those are the relationships that they have within their network. And so, you know, I think, the, I think what we need to really spend a lot of time talking about, and I talk about this quite often, is that um, certainly like we need to continue to put pressure on investors to put money into black companies. And I do that very often. In fact, like I was invited uh, to some big like CEO exclusive conference earlier this year and I told them they sent me this invite and it was like a, it was you know an honor obviously but I responded and I said hey look I looked at the list of people there's there's no black people besides me like if if you can invite these 10 people like I'm happy to come otherwise like I don't want to be there I think the people in those positions need to do more of that and like continue to put pressure on uh thank you yeah look I think I think we need to continue to put pressure on um, you know, people with the resources, right, to, to open up doors for our people and invest in our ideas. I also think we need to invest in, in, in our people's ideas, right, in our own community, right? Like, we have, our, we have our own resources. We have to be willing to take risks in each other uh, and willing to, to, to build up our own community, right, and take ownership in that. Secondly, you know, because not everyone's an entrepreneur, I think we need to really start, obviously, people should go to school and certainly focus on engineering or product-related roles. I think there's a lot of opportunity to build generational wealth in, in being an engineer or being um, a product manager or even a project manager uh, at a company. Uh, but I also think that we need to encourage our people to go work in HR, right? I think HR is a, the perfect opportunity to be able to to go out and you know hire the next set of executives and train the next set of executives. And I think if there were more people who look like us in some of these big companies in HR roles, especially um, like HR leadership roles, you'll see more people within these companies that look like us. And so uh, I think between those three things, you're seeing a little bit of it now, like we're in the early stages of development there, but, um, but certainly a long way to go. And I think that's, that's, that's a good roadmap to get in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so thinking about kind of your journey to date, you've got some rock star investors. Um, what has been your process for fundraising? You know, Detroit doesn't necessarily have a ton of people who are in venture capital. There are a couple of people who've made a significant amount of investments there, um, but the number is small, but their yeah. amount is big. They're very rich. So what is, what was your process? How did you get started with your first check? Yeah, so I, I had to leave Detroit, by the way, to get my first check. Um, you know, it's interesting to be this kid from Detroit, really in all of the right networks, when there's really, in Detroit, there's like only one network, right? Dan Gilbert, um, he like owns the entire city. He owns the biggest companies in the city. But I'm within the network, right? We have a relationship personally. You know, I had this idea, and I wanted to start this company. I went to meet with his team, the, like the, the week before I was scheduled to leave. And, um, and, you know, I was like, hey, look, I got this idea. We obviously have a relationship. Do you guys want to support it? And, and the guy whose job is to keep people, like talented people in the city, told me, like, no, you should go. You should go and do that. <laughs> Why did you think he said that? I mean, look, the, you know, they, they typically invest in white Jewish men, right, like within their, within their community. And I, while I have, like, great respect for that, like, that's just, like, that's what they do, right? And so, you know, frankly, I don't think he had faith. Like, uh, I think that's super clear. Um, uh, and he certainly didn't see the vision. And so, you know, it's, it's interesting. I go back now, I was just there for the Forbes conference, and everybody knew I was going to be a great success. They're like, man, I knew, you know, I'm so, you know. Of course. The, the fakest love in the world is like when they come up to you, you, you try to work with somebody, they're like, I'm so proud of you. You know, I'm like, what are you talking about, man? You know a spot, but not just a spot. 
the spot. Actually, with the 2023 Nissan Frontier, you know a bunch of them. But the key to these great spots? Being able to reach them in the first place. Your spot is out there. Find your Frontier in the 2023 Nissan Frontier with standard 310 horsepower, advanced tech, and 281 pound-feet of torque. Seeing our communities grow and thrive is something we care deeply about here at Black Tech Green Money. State Farm Insurance also cares about the growth of black communities. They're actively investing in programs and initiatives that help provide financial literacy, give early career advice, and grow black-owned businesses, thus leading to generational wealth, which helps protect the future of our communities. We want to build a future that we all can be proud of. State Farm understands that representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. It also requires active sponsorship of programs like the AXO, a year-long program that recognizes and rewards high school students for their academic and cultural achievements, along with funding programs like Project Ready, a national urban league program committed to educational achievement of black and brown youth that has awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to date. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and can have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. But uh, I met this guy named Peter Pham at uh, South by Southwest. Um, and, you know, Peter, Peter's super important in my journey because, you know, he, he, you know, he spoke with me for 30 minutes, thought the, the idea that I was thinking about was super compelling and said, hey, give me your phone number. Um, let's talk about this. And, and he followed up. Like, I didn't have to reach out to him. He followed up the next day and said, hey, I've been thinking a lot about what you've been thinking, what you talked about, uh, and here's how I think we can approach it. And asked me to come to L.A. and spend time with him and his partners, and, and so I did. So, one, I, you know, I talked to him. I was not afraid to share my idea with him. And I think a lot of us, were so possessive of our ideas. We're afraid to get our ideas out in the universe. Like, you got to share it. That's the only way. Like, first off, it's such an arrogant you know, mentality to be like, I don't want to share my idea. Like, we all have ideas. No one's going to steal your idea. Um, The only thing that can really happen is, like, you'll have conversation and people will help you evolve and enhance the idea, right? And so, like, that's the first thing I I did there. I think that, like, is a, a strong lesson. And beyond that, like, when Peter followed up, you know, I jumped at the opportunity. So he's like, hey, come to L.A. I was, like, on the next plane to L.A. And I recognize not everyone has the financial resources to do that. But if you do, like, you should take those opportunities. And don't really worry about what's on the other side of that. And so I went out there. I spent time with him. And, um, and there was still, you know, some time where, you know, I was, like, on the fence about it. Because I was like, I'm from Detroit. I like to do this in Detroit. Um, but, the, I, like, there was nobody there really willing to support me. And even then, I was still pretty committed to the city. Uh, but Peter called me. And he said something I'll never forget. He's like, look, 
you can be a millionaire in Detroit or a billionaire in LA. Like you get you get to choose. He's like, but like you give me 24 hours, like don't waste my time, you know. And uh, and I called him the next day. I was like, man, I didn't gave everything away. Like I'm I'm on my way. Uh, and I jumped there and I, I went out to LA, um, and you know basically worked on the idea for like six months, really like talking to people, sharing the idea, making relationships, uh, figuring out the fundamentals of the uh, the idea to actually go out and establish a company. So I spent six months working on it before we'd ever started the company. And that was just me in a tiny room figuring it out. There was times where I couldn't articulate it, times where I didn't even think like we'd be successful, but I just every single day stayed focused. And, uh, and I wrote out like three objectives too. I said, hey, if I can acquire publisher relationships, acquire distribution and build a strong product, like I can build a company. And so I would always focus on those three things because I think in the early days, if you don't like set a North Star, um, it's a lot of distractions out there. So you end up not being uh, productive in how you approach work. Uh, um, and so, you know, I think it's super like important to do that. And I wrote those three things down early on and I stayed focused on those three things. And eventually like the, you know, pieces of the puzzle started to come together. And so, you know, we went out and raised our first round and I think in April, and our story is super privileged. Like we did four meetings. We're really strategic about how we approached it. We only met Thursday and Friday, then Thursday and Friday, because the objective is to get to a partner's meeting on Monday. And so if you meet too early in the week, you know, it's, 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 there's a chance where the whole thing falls apart. And so, you know, we did Thursday and Friday, did a bunch of partners meet this Monday, luckily, and then we announced our company publicly on like Tuesday. So we we're like really strategic about it. And when we announced it publicly, hundreds of publications started to write about us. And so now all of the investors we just met with the day before who are mulling over if they want to make a decision, they're seeing all of the excitement around the business. Tons of other companies, um, investors, excuse me, want to meet with us. And so we take another set of Thursday and Friday. We started to get all of these offer sheets, uh, offer letters, excuse me. And, uh, and then we just like quickly made a decision uh, on who we wanted to work with. And so um, the next couple of rounds were like pretty easy as well, like very quick for us. Um, uh, you know, so I don't know if that's super helpful for anyone here, but, um, but yeah, like, I, you know, I think it's just uh, every, every story is a lot different in fundraising. I think the one thing that people talk about, like our investors talk about that I think is helpful is like, you know, I walked into that room with a ton of confidence. Like when they would ask me, first of all, like as black entrepreneurs, like even when I was an investor, one thing I always realized is that like we're willing to share all of the details. Like we'll give you, we'll tell you anything you ask for. Like investors don't have truth serum like attached to you. Like you, you have the opportunity to say what you want to disclose and what you don't want to disclose. Like an investor's job is to like meet you, learn as much as they can because they're taking notes and then they're going to track you over time, right? And, and if, you, if you're progressing, they're going to be like really aggressive in trying to write a check. And if you're not, they're going to refer back to their notes and then like they're going to like check back in sometime afterwards. And so, you know, I always take the approach of if I'm not fundraising, I'm not building relationships with investors. And then two, um, uh, nothing kills a raise better than numbers and time, right? And so like if you're, if you're saying you're going to hit some numbers, and, you know, over some time you don't do that, or if you're saying you're raising, but, you know, a year later someone sees you again and you're still raising, like the raise is dead, you know, so like it's time to get back to work and find an alternative. Um, uh, but, uh, but look, venture, venture dollars also aren't the, aren't the only way to build a company, like there's tons of ways to do so. And, uh, and, and to Morgan's earlier point, like when you raise capital, it's not like the end all be all, like we have a ton of work to do. I like to say it's like, you know, having resources to buy a plot of land, but we still have to build the house, right? And then sell the house. And so um, we have a mortgage essentially, um, but you know, investors want to return on their capital and, uh, and we're committed to give them one. But, uh, but just know that that pressure is real. Yeah, absolutely.
All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful VC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! <laughs> and outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. State Farm Insurance gets it. Representation alone doesn't equate to authenticity. State Farm understands and wants to help protect our communities by investing in our future, building off the hard work our parents have done before us. We all are looking to create generational wealth so that our families and generations behind us have a better starting point than we did. That begins with financial literacy. State Farm helps fund programs like Project Ready, a National Urban League program committed to the educational achievement of black and brown youth. To date, participants have been awarded over $11 million in scholarships offers as a direct result of contributions from State Farm. At Eating Walbrook, we hear inspiring rags to riches stories on each episode from our guests, but with State Farm, you can begin to write your own success story. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities and have a long-lasting impact. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. So momentum is key. Um, let's talk about your team. So you raised all this money. Um, you guys are growing incredibly fast. How are you structuring your team? How are you organizing your time as a CEO? You're on the road constantly. Yeah. Um, I know you're very careful about what you do and not do and, and how you manage your time. So talk us through a little bit because, again, there's very few people at your level in our generation. So um, how do you manage your time today? Yeah, so I say no to as much, you know, as many things as possible hanging out with some celebrity no like uh uh you know unless it's diddy diddy is my man like you know like that's a different thing but there's been times too where i've like had to take the back seat because i'm like look i just got stuff to do um but no like you know like you know if if the opportunity you know comes along like you know i'm trying to be in the car you know like uh uh but uh but no, look, you know, but seriously, though, like, you know, saying no to, to, to opportunities to hang out with people, to go to parties, to do dinners and meetings or like whatever it is, you know, like you have to learn how to say no. That also like also like applies to like family, um, like it's super important to like just be focused on your time and to prioritize like what's in front of you from like a team perspective and then the personal perspective. Like you got to make sure you're taking care of yourself. And so saying no to as much stuff as possible is like one thing that I practice. Um, and people get mad about it, like, but you know, you just have to, you have to do that if you want to be successful. Uh, from a team perspective, like, I love my team. Like, uh, I think I have an incredible collection of people 
It's one of the most diverse companies you'll walk into ever. Um, you know, gender, ethnicity, background, you know, so many beautiful shades of people. Uh, and they're all really experienced. They've helped build companies. Uh, they all have different backgrounds. Um, and, uh, and I'm super fortunate for that. The one thing that, that'll make a company be successful is team. Like, the idea literally does not matter because the idea evolves too, right? And it changes over time. And, and it changes based on the people that you work with and you hire. And so finding the best team possible uh, is super important. And the, the one thing that, you know, I always focused on, especially because we raised so much money was, now I have the resources to swing, you know, basically in the different weight class. So I went out and hired the best executives. Like, you know, I was hiring executives whose opportunity was like, come join this really small startup with five people or go be the ex an executive at Bird when they were, you know, just raised a billion dollars. But, you know, I had a lot of confidence. You know, I had a really strong vision. And, and I was just on their phone every day. Hey, look, let's talk about this more. Tell me, tell me what issues you know you have. What are you contemplating on this? Just like trying to work through their problems to convince them to come over. And we ended up hiring some really incredible people. Like one of our guys is Robert Lambic, who uh, is the VP. He was the head of growth at Spotify and Headspace. His team grew Spotify uh, while he was there through 30 million subs from basically nothing, and then through 70 million subs after he left through his strategy and vision. And then he left to go to Headspace and grew them to 100 million in revenue. And he joined super early, like before we'd done any sort of acquisition. Like we had no acquisition strategy. It was all organic growth. Um, and in fact, I mean, it's so insane. We paid, this, we paid a recruiter $115,000 just to like identify a list of people and try to help us go out to recruit That's them. That's nuts. He was, he was the number one person on the list, but he wouldn't take the call. Wow. But we went to go hire the CTO who was actually on the Beats leadership team and, and on the Headspace leadership team, and he joined. And as soon as he joined, Robert would take his call because they worked together. And then, you know, a couple weeks later, you know, he was at the company. But, you know, we definitely lost that 115000 So being a recruiter, again, being an HR is a good business. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of money to be made there, you know. Right. Um, and uh, it actually doesn't take much effort. It's just like find people, you know, get them to talk to this company and then you take 30% of their salary. It's like super easy. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like look, team, hire, hire really strong people. Don't prioritize hiring friends. Hire the best person for the job. And, and, and don't worry about domain experience. So like for us, like we're focused on esports. So we don't need people who understand esports. We need people who have incredible depth at whatever their job is. So if you're a CFO, I want you to be the best CFO possible based on that skill set. And then I want you to be an incredible leader, right? So like leadership ability and skill and then depth in your experience uh, and like your domain I think is most important than actual market experience. So we have about six minutes left, so I want to get some tangible advice. You've given some great advice about um, folks who are already have startups and how they can approach the raising process. What about people who are considering getting into startup world? How many of you all have a day job but, but may want to be an entrepreneur? Yeah, so what are your thoughts on people who may have a good, because you're here, you got a good paying job, so you're doing well. But do you really want to be broke like the rest of us for some time? So that's the risk. What is your advice to people who are, are thinking about taking that leap of faith and starting their own company and following their dreams? Yeah, so, so look, the, my first piece of advice is before you become an entrepreneur, come work at Play Versus. Uh, <laughs> so that's the, that's the first piece of advice, right? Like, uh, I think um, especially if it's a tech company, you want to be at a company that was really small, that went really big. Um, and you, you want to be a part of that experience, right? Because, like, learning, going through that journey will prepare you to 
to actually be an entrepreneur. Uh, I had that journey right before I, be, I started Play Versus. I uh, was an early employee at this company called Rocket Fiber, and we raised $31 million from Dan Gilbert. And so we were like the largest raise in Michigan history at the time, and we were just like a couple kids who knew nothing about what we were doing. Uh, and we built this incredible company, right? And so I learned so much through that process, uh, and I got to work hands-on directly with our CEO. Uh, and had I not had that experience, I would never have been able to be successful at Play Versus, especially like this fast um, and, you know, this early. And so, look, I think that's like the first piece of advice I would give you. I know everyone's really excited to jump out there and start companies, but definitely go and learn and study before you do so. And then when you're committed to doing so, like do it, right? Like you can, you can start by working at whatever company you're working at as long as it's not Play Versus and be working like on, on the project on the side, right, after work, you know, on weekends and really commit to it get something built, get it out in market, um, you know, test it, continue to iterate, and then, like, jump and, like, you know, quit your job full time and, like, focus on it. But, like, whatever you do, if you take that approach or you just jump straight out the window, like, make sure you're, like, committed to it and, like, you focus on, um, you focus your time, like, while you're working on it. Mm -hmm. So any final advice for the Afrotech community before you read a part? Any final advice? Yeah. Any final words? Yo, we just, you know, Look, man, you know, we, we deserve, you know, I think that a lot of people, you know, we always are like asking to be in a room or asking for a seat at the table. Like, look, we deserve not only to be at those tables to like to, to own those rooms. And so I think, you know, as you guys are all in here, first off, it's incredible to see so many people committed on a Saturday to be here to learn, to meet people. I think this is a beautiful thing. And this is, an, this is already, you know, one step ahead of whoever is talking about doing something but actually haven't started. Uh, and so you guys should really be all, like, just proud of yourself, frankly, for, like, being here and committing that time. Um, but, like, yeah, but, like, in general, like, yo, we just have to prioritize ownership. Like, we have to own stuff, you know, whether that's our homes, uh, to be honest, I don't know if owning a car makes sense, but like certainly homes, you gotta like have equity in businesses and yourself, uh, and and you have to like uh, you have to really care about that. And also, we have to like we have to support each other. You know, Jay had Jay Z had this uh, this rap, and if anyone hasn't heard it, like they should go listen to it. And it was like at one of his concerts. Um, where like after Nipsey Hussle passed and he talked about how like the what most people don't recognize in like a crab in a barrel mentality is like if the crab holds on to each other as they like are you know on their way out the barrel the first one that gets out as long as everyone stays attached everyone will get out um, but instead you know one crab is trying to pull each other down basically as soon as someone makes progress like we can't we can't be on that wave anymore like we can't hate on each other we have to support each other if we say we're going to do something for each other we have to actually follow through with that and, and we have to hold each other accountable like when we aren't doing that you know and so I think that that's like that's an important lesson that that you know I found is super helpful in my life and I try to prioritize that um, and just that mentality in general like I don't want to be I never want to be the only black person in the rooms that I'm in I say no to stuff if I'm the only black person in the rooms that I'm in um, and like you know if you get to that level or even if like even if the room is a small room like you got to bring people who look like you in there people who want to be in that room and then like y'all got to just put in the work you know and stay focused and then open the door for the next generation of people who also want to be there well thank you Delane yeah shout out to that we appreciate you of course, yeah, no we celebrate you congratulations, congratulations again you. come on this is a big moment so thank you all please Keep your seats because we're going to go right straight to the next speaker.
Black Tech Green Money is a production of Blavity Afrotech on the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartMedia. And it's produced by Morgan DeBond and me, Lil Lucas, with additional production support by Love Beach and Marissa Lewis. Special thank you to Micah Davis, Adam Sims, and Sakara Savanyan. You know, like the wine? Yes, that's his real name. Learn more about my guests and other tech disruptors and innovators at afrotech.com. The video version of this episode will drop the Black Tech Green Money on YouTube, so tap in. Enjoy your Black Tech Green Money? Leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. Go get your money. Peace and love. State Farm Insurance knows that understanding and investing in our cultural identity is paramount in protecting our future. We know what it's like to go from nothing to something to wish that we had better financial literacy when we were younger. Luckily, State Farm is here to help with funding programs like Project Ready, which is committed to education achievement and has already awarded over $11 million in scholarship offers to black and brown youth since 2021. State Farm believes that being better neighbors creates better communities. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so there we were, cruising through the new open-air zoo, when I realized that the park was closing in like 15 minutes. Luckily, we were in my Nissan Rogue. With its powerful DC turbo engine, well, we had time to see all the animals. Whoa! (laughs) And outrun a few! Drive the Nissan Rogue. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.